0: Hi, i'm christine and i'm alan we'd like to thank you for tuning into our discussion this week
1: our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful
0: so now we invite you to join us as we together
1: listen, listen for, for the, the word. word
0: merry christmas everybody Um, You are joining us for our podcast today, and today we're going to look back on one that we did last year on the Magnificat, Luke 1, 39 through 55. I hope you hear something new this year from this wonderful, wonderful scripture. Christmas is coming, and we are in our last Sunday of Advent um, looking at the Magnificat, and we are going to jump right into the text. And so I want Alan to just put this particular text into context.
1: Well, it uh, obviously occurs in Luke's, uh, what are known as infancy narratives, because they tell tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, It's interesting. We don't have have much from the childhood of Jesus or the adolescence of Jesus, but we have Matthew and Luke that have the infancy narratives. And then Luke's infancy narratives are unique in that um, there are strong resonances between Luke's infancy narratives and Hebrew Bible texts. Um um and and the way in which he he does this is through like the Annunciation, through the Magnificat, through uh, Elizabeth's um, um, blessing on Mary, through Zachariah's Benedictus. Uh, he has these these um people who Luke says for the most part are are led by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit. Who speak um, a message that resonates very strongly with what you found, what we've been, what we've been hearing all along from Isaiah, partly, and and just just with a message of of restoration, and it's primarily for Israel. It's interesting because we think of Luke as a gospel for the gentiles true but um and we would think of matthew as being in a more jewish context but uh, luke's infancy narratives uh, really strongly emphasize the significance of jesus birth for israel and their redemption and and so it starts there obviously but um it doesn't Stop there, and and I like um, one of my favorite New Testament scholars is a guy named Joel Green, and he's got a he's got a, t- a, a volume called The Theology of the Gospel of Luke, and in it he says it this way that Luke inscribes the story of Jesus into the ongoing story of God's purpose in the Scriptures, and that's what he's doing with these resonances. He's 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 showing how Jesus is fulfilling um, the, God's redemptive purpose, but then the the connection between Luke and Acts. You know, shows that that um, the the work is ongoing, and that story that began with God's work with Abraham and his descendants continues with Jesus and can, goes on with the church, and so you have that that sort of continuity uh, that that begins right here mm-hmm. in the infancy narratives.
0: Well, I, I I I see that, and I think that um, that. Obviously, he had to tie that in a story to make, this, I mean, <laughs> to make this make any sense, right? You can't have something just come from outside. I mean, this is indeed uh, the birth of Christ. And I think it's interesting to ask the question, though, because he has changed a little bit in that he's adding new kinds of characters involved oh, yes. to tell the story. Oh, yes. Um, women and these parallels that he brings in that are so central to his text.
1: Yeah, in contrast to, to um, you know, in, in Matthew's infancy narratives, you've got Joseph, you've got the Magi, you've got King Herod, you know, you've got those kinds of folks who play a significant role. Uh, in Luke's gospel, you've got... Um, you know you've got mary of course in the annunciation you know the annunciation is given to mary not to joseph and uh you know the, the whole the whole statement about who this child will be and 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 the significance of his birth that's given to mary elizabeth plays a prominent role um, um and then of course mary's magnificat then you've got uh the benedictus of Zechariah, uh who is is kind of otherwise unknown right? right he's not a prominent figure uh, you've got the the prophetess Anna mm-hmm. who um, was was um, in Jerusalem you got this this fellow Simeon who was someone who was waiting in Jerusalem because it had been revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Lord's uh, Messiah you know so you have these interesting characters uh, they're not they're kind of on the fringes and that's where Luke seems to like to be, he likes to tell the story of Jesus as it relates to people who were disenfranchised yeah. in the in the in the in the society in the in mm-hmm. the power structures of that day, and so he emphasizes Jesus' work and God's redemptive work with people uh, who were who were not uh, the powerful people. They were the lowly. They were the mm-hmm. ones who were disempowered.
0: So, when Luke. Let's, let's, let's jump into the text a little bit more. Obviously, these, he uses these people maybe to, to tell, help tell the story, and I'm wondering if that's indeed who he's trying to have hear the story as well. Do you think there's a, a parallel there?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I do think so. I mean, I think the Gospel of Luke is addressed to people who feel disempowered. Uh, it, it, is, it is primarily a gospel for the lost and the, the least and the last and the left out. You know, it, it is really written from that perspective. And I think it would appeal to folks like that. Now, over the years, you know, I think we've lost that, that, that original um, framework of Luke's gospel. We don't, we don't understand that. I, I think it's hard for us to see that, that women, per se, had no role right. in Jewish society. They were considered property. Children... Only had benefit if they could work and do something productive for the family, contribute to the household. You know, Um, uh, otherwise they were considered to be a liability. You know, there's a very different outlook on even the family and other things um, than what we have today. And so, um, yeah, I think um, I think Luke's gospel would have appealed to people who were on the margins.
0: Mm. Here's something else. So. You are listening to these beautiful well known for us very well known words obviously um, what what resonates what what would people hear the most
1: i think um, I think people would 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 pay attention to the fact that the powerful are brought down and the lowly are lifted up. The the full are sent away hungry and the hungry are filled. Um, This is something that is a strong emphasis throughout Luke's gospel. uh,
0: and, well, this is Old Testament as well. Oh, Hebrew it is, of Hebrew Bible. I mean, I
1: mean, we saw it last week with with Absolutely. Isaiah sixty one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and and it is a strong emphasis in the Hebrew Bible, and I think this is this is part of what. What uh, t- connects the infancy narratives of Luke's gospel to the Hebrew Bible? In that you know you have this theme of the great reversal. That's the that's the point of God's kingdom, starting even in the Hebrew yep. Bible. That yep. is that God is going to set things right, and that's going to mean that the powerful are are are, are, are not necessarily going to be on top, and and the and the lowly are going to be uh, uplifted, and uh, so and and most people call this the theme of the great reversal Mm -hmm. and you see it in especially i think in luke's gospel with his version of the beatitudes yes his version of the beatitudes are are very sharp
0: to our ears Mm -hmm.
1: because we're Mm -hmm. so used to matthew's version he says blessed are you who are poor now blessed are you who are hungry now it's
0: very immediate
1: blessed are you who Mm -hmm. mourn now and then Right after that, he says, woe to you who are rich now. Woe to you who are filled now. Woe to you mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. who are laughing now.
0: You know, when you're saying this, Alan, I keep thinking of, you know, a lot of us, I think, a lot of us think, when we think of Scripture, think of New Testament, our our narrative probably starts with the Matthew narrative. I think mm-hmm. that's what most goes through our mind. And I think sometimes we gloss over those those nuances in, in Luke's Beatitudes. And I think... We might be doing that as well when we come here. You know, sure. how we collapse the story together. And if we step back, I think we really see Luke right away trying to pull out these heavy themes, um, um, this great reversal.
1: We, I think we do. We tend to skip over Luke chapter 1. We go straight to Luke chapter 2 because that's the one that we're all familiar mm-hmm. with. You know, the census that took place when Quirinius was the governor of Syria and Joseph and Mary in the manger and the shepherds and all of that that's what we're familiar with and so we kind of skip over chapter 1 I think entirely mm-hmm. and I that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to take it up this week
0: Well and, and in the Magnificat which is so famous with music and and um, you know we we tend to we tend to think of this this powerful, strong voice that comes and, you know, uh, um, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I, I tend to think there would be a little bit more hesitation and, 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 and that sense of awe of, Oh, wow. Um, and, and, and the weight, um, and, and, and the sharpness that Luke, Luke comes with, I think also should probably, um, should probably have some type of uh imagery when we're thinking about Mary saying this to me anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, even Paul talks about the fear and trembling he has about about his ministry. And and so I think we would have to assume that um if she's aware that she is playing this special role of being the mother of the Lord's anointed, that has got to be something that is that is really i'm sure she's kind of freaked out about it
0: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) and and um and so yeah we do i mean in music you know the magnificat is set to these just um exultant joyful yeah the tones
0: and confident they have a confidence that yeah i'm not sure yeah based on especially not only based we'll talk about mary later but based on even this the scripture in the context of luke suggests to me that this might have been taken with that sense of uh, unworthiness and mm-hmm. and and the fear and in fact our reformers are going to talk about the fear of the lord being so central and wow um, um that we sometimes miss instead we just think oh this great joy I think there's this, this great fear that goes with that.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's clearly uh, a, a passage that focuses on joy over what God is doing mm-hmm. and because, because God is, is setting things right, even if that means bringing the powerful down from their thrones and, and lifting up the lowly. God is setting things right. And, and Mary is approaching this from the perspective of one who is clearly lowly. You know, she was a peasant, the lowest, yeah, right? really she, the lowest. She, yeah, and yeah. and not only was she a peasant, she was a woman. There has to be some sense of pause. Mm-hmm. and there has to be some sense of tentativeness, I think, in her mind as she as she is is speaking these words.
0: Well, yes, and I think I think historically, you're living in a social reality where you wake every day and you know that you are lower than others. So does, mm-hmm. to hear this reversal is I think has a much louder voice than it does in the context of a, a modern day person.
1: Yeah, because because in our context we're the ones who are powerful, we're the ones who are filled. Oh, we're the well, ones absolutely. who are laughing now.
0: And and even <clears throat> even then our at least at least fed into our head is this equality of all people. Mm-hmm. Not that is not fed into the heads of the people that during this time right this is this is a time when hey this is how it is and there's people high and there's people low it's, it's kind of that. And it was a, a it was voice, an either right?
1: or. There yeah. was no middle ground.
0: It's it's it doesn't have that same sense. It's a very
1: different social structure. It's very different social structure. It's a very structure. different social yeah, structure. Different yeah. social structure. Yeah. And so I think that theme that theme would have been the one that would have resonated most with people who heard this text mm-hmm. originally. They would have, they would have rejoiced. One of the reasons why I I feel like it's important to look at this text as for the fourth Sunday of Advent as opposed to Uh, Perhaps even the Annunciation, which is the gospel reading, is that this text really provides us, I think, with a fitting conclusion to the message that we've seen from from Isaiah already. And um, uh, the idea is that you know, again, it's celebrating God's redemptive work. And and you know, I think where we kind of miss it is is that for us, redemption has we've turned it into something spiritual. And and in that right. day and time, it was a whole picture. It was it was spiritual, yes, but it was also um, it was also physical, very much this worldly kind of yes. restoration of res- uh, restoring the fortunes of people who have been exactly. disenfranchised and 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 making it possible for them to thrive as opposed to just barely making exactly. an existence. Exactly, yeah. and mm-hmm.
0: some people expect the spiritual renewal, but. Not a physical renewal, yeah. and
1: um, well, we think that's- m- most of us in this country. I mean, even people who consider themselves to be just basic middle class folks, compared with the rest of the world, we are wealthy.
0: Wealthy, absolutely, and yeah. and, and yeah. we
1: are. We, I mean, if you, I, I've said it before. If you have a roof over your head and you know that you're going to be able to stay there, if you have more than an if you have more than one change of clothing. If you know where your food is coming from, not only today but tomorrow, if you have food security and you're not sh- you don't have any insecurity about your food, you, you're we're wealthy we're we- in comparison exactly. with the yeah. majority of the world's population. Exactly. exactly. So, um, um, I think that's one of the obstacles we have to reading this text is because it's hard for us to rejoice with the people who would have rejoiced. I, I there's a quote. There's a quote I want to share. It is uh, from uh, Stephen Shoemaker, who, was a, who I, th- I think may still be a Baptist pastor, a friend of mine from my former days. Uh, he has a book called God Stories, where he had a collection of sermons. And he said it this way, there are only two ways you can enter the kingdom and experience its joy. One is to be among the poor, oppressed, bruised, and brokenhearted, those to whom God comes as healing, comfort, justice, and freedom. The other way is to be among God's people who are going to the poor, oppressed, bruised, blind, and brokenhearted, and bringing God's healing, comfort, justice, and freedom. And I think that's something that's really we have to, we have to get. It's not just right. about my spiritual well-being, my, my, my final destiny. It's about... Uh, life here and now and the quality of life here and now and god intends for that to change and to reflect his values uh uh, so that all people can thrive together
0: i you know when i read that um and when you say that i think we do see this theme in some of our early protestant reformers um which is really interesting and we may get to talk about that later but um Others had had read it this way. others others saw that in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and it leads to a, a, a quite a historical movement about how it is to be a Christian and how it is to be a Christian prince, yeah. which is a huge nice. which is a huge nice. theme later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's head back to our text again because there's so much to pull out. Um, I think one of the things when I read this was in this immediate connection to Hannah's song. So mm-hmm. maybe you'd like to talk about this that comparison.
1: Well, uh, so a lot of New Testament scholars will point out the connection to Hannah's song. Hannah, if you recall, um, uh, she goes with her husband El- Elkanah to the to the sanctuary that was around in those days, and um, she's uh, weeping bitterly, praying to the Lord. Her lips are moving, but there's no sound coming out. And Eli the priest thinks she's drunk, and he rebukes her, which is, you know, way to go, Eli, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and so she says, you know, I I'm a, I'm a brokenhearted woman because I'm barren and he, he pronounces a blessing on her and lo and behold, the next year when it's time to come up to the sanctuary, she has a son, Samuel, and she is bringing him to dedicate him to the Lord. And so that's the setting for, for Hannah's song.
0: I think it's significant who Samuel is and just refresh everyone.
1: Well, Moses was the first and foremost prophet in the Hebrew Bible. And then you have the Judges, who sort of functioned like prophets, but then Samuel is sort of represents the revival of, of prophecy. So he's a prophet who who ministered in Israel during the reign of King Saul. He anointed Saul as king. He pronounced God's judgment on Saul as king, and he anointed David as king. And so he was around in those days. So um, he he's a very prominent figure right. in the Hebrew Bible. I think yeah.
0: it, I think it's significant that the, mm-hmm. there's this relationship between yeah. who her son is and. And also Mary and, and Jesus. He's so. very he's
1: very much he's very much a prophet who's seen as as sort of succeeding in the line of Moses mm-hmm. in, in the in the Hebrew Bible. So he is a he is an important figure. He's not just somebody who was on the sidelines. So, um, obviously Luke's written in Greek. Right. Mary would have spoken Aramaic. So we've got some compositional issues here, right? And well, we don't know how it got from Mary's Aramaic to Luke's Greek. And
0: Samuel's or or Hannah's song would have been in Hebrew.
1: Would have been in right. Hebrew, okay, originally. But for most, for for many of these kinds of situations, you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek version <laughs> of the Old Testament. And in the Septuagint, you know what you find are conceptual resonances. It's not like Mary's song quotes hannah's song verbatim or anything like that you have conceptual references or resonances because you've got things like uh, the powerful are broken it says actually she uses that language Mm -hmm. the powerful are broken but the weak she doesn't say the lowly she says the weak are made strong you have a very clear resonance with those who are full go hungry while those who are hungry are are full um, in fact in the Septuagint it says they neglect the land literally in Greek which means they have so much food they don't even have they to don't bother even the farm, bother to farm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so uh, um, and there are other themes in Hannah's song that don't come out in the magnificat but um, uh, you do have this um, sort of praise to God for unexpected salvation you know uh, God is praised as savior. Uh, in Hannah's song and in Mary's song, uh, there is this emphasis on salvation. Um, and um, in both cases, you've got women who have received an unexpected gift, perhaps, although with Mary, it's a it's one of those things where she's probably awestruck by this gift. and um, they're praising God for sort of the reversal of their fortunes. Absolutely, you know because mm-hmm. because Hannah was barren. And this, exactly. is, this is something that's right, that's, right. that's brought and, out and in And, of Hannah's course,
0: song. Mary, I mean, Mary was a young woman, a you young know. Woman, and and yeah. But I do think it's fair to say there, there's strange pregnancy stories in both cases. Yeah, even, yeah, even yeah. So.
1: so Hannah's barren, and even this is a the theme that's brought out. The, and with Mary, it's one where, um, you know, uh, the the gospel tradition calls her a virgin so she's she's not married she may be betrothed to joseph but there's there's no physical way that she should conceive and yet um, you know you have this this announcement that god's spirit is going to enable her to conceive and so and and with hannah you know this is something that all of her friends would have rejoiced with her with mary you know, Elizabeth rejoices with her because she gets the inside story. Right. But some of the other folks in Nazareth may have may have not known what to make of it. And so Mary might have been kind of might have gotten that sort of um, mixed reception from the other women of, of Nazareth because they didn't really know what to do with it. So it is an unusual birth story because you know she's she's pregnant and she's not supposed to be
0: (laughs) right exactly so the whole you know the whole thing is a little a a little interesting and this sent me to so many of the other strange birth stories we have right we Mm -hmm. have sarah who conceives when she's Mm -hmm. you know ancient and has a baby and so we we see these things throughout um when it's a sometimes when it's a significant figure in the bible sure or um I, I even see a significant historical shift, which I think is interesting that our writers are are remembering these particular facts with women who aren't even... I mean, if we're looking at most histories, that's just not right. an issue, right? You don't and find so, them, yeah. You so know, we see the shift from our judges into the shift, which will be kings um, in terms of the governance of Israel. And here, here you have this huge... Um, this, this this huge birth story this mm-hmm. huge experience again we see this shift this jesus is coming and it, all of a sudden it's worthy of having women involved and i think that's a I think that's really telling and and interesting
1: yeah i've said it before i think throughout the bible god delights in accomplishing his redemptive work through the most unlikely characters <laughs> the most unlikely per- people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think that's something that is this kind of a theme throughout the bible I agree. definitely yeah.
0: Another, I think another thing worth um, examining here in terms of our text is this is a song. And, you know, Luke, he tends to, especially in these, in these infancy narratives, come to us in, in song.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so let's talk about song and what, how you understand song in this context.
1: Well, I think what we have to remember is that we're dealing with a time in which written texts were scarce, so, you know, I, I even think about Jesus unrolling the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in in the synagogue at Nazareth. And as a historian of the New Testament, I think, how would they have even had a scroll at Nazareth? Nazareth was a was a small town. You know, I'm thinking they would have had scrolls of the Bible in Jerusalem. They had scrolls of the Bible at Qumran because it was dedicated as a scriptorium. That was what they did. Um, they may have had scrolls, at, you know, at Bethel, which was kind of the, the main sanctuary for the northern kingdom. But it's hard for me. I, I can't imagine that, that every synagogue throughout Israel had access to written scrolls of, of, of the Hebrew Bible. So how did they bring Scripture into worship? That's the question. Um, and I think we're dealing with uh, probably oral tradition uh, we're dealing with a society in which uh, whole chunks of scripture would have been memorized uh, and frankly I mean if I try to put myself in that in that situation I would think that for most of the synagogues the main text that they would have committed to memory would have been the torah would have been the law and they would have that would have been the main focus of scripture teaching in most synagogues especially in a small town like nazareth because uh, they just wouldn't have access to, to written texts. So we're dealing with a, a period of, of, uh, where a lot of the content of, of faith is transmitted through oral teaching. Now, um, the rabbis may have been able to commit some of these other texts to memory because they probably would have studied at a place where there would have been access to texts. So a rabbi going out and teaching in the synagogue may very well have, have had access to other texts and may very well be able to recite some of them from memory. Um, you know, you point out the importance of Samuel. If Samuel is the one who's sort of taking up the mantle of Moses in the eyes of the Jewish people, then his birth is significant. And you know you also have in Hannah's song one of these themes that really runs through the whole Hebrew Bible and mm-hmm. that is you know that that um the reversal of fortunes that God works through unlikely people so I guess the question is would Mary have ever heard the song of Hannah recited in a synagogue I, 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 don't, don't, I don't I don't know think for she sure would have
0: in a synagogue I think it probably made sorry I'm going into my background now Go I ahead. apologize um coming to this i i have i have i have background in in himity and how himity spread sure um, the reformation and in oral oral culture and that was a huge piece so i read a lot of stuff on or you know the dissemination of oral culture i suspect as a song that was simply memorized and passed on and mary probably had versions of the song in her head um and 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 translated to fit her own to fit mm-hmm. her own world i mm-hmm. mean um as as a singer well, and that's the way
1: that's the way i mean you know um um uh, folk tales were passed along absolutely that way. absolutely um, aesop's fables were passed along for generations before they were written down absolutely. and that's 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 the way we understand the composition of the hebrew bible in general that a lot of these stories were passed along orally mm-hmm. before they were ever written down and
0: song is you know yeah. is is you know i still know poetry because i know the song right. right i have no doubt that she had some pieces of it now of course what luke did in translating it into greek um and and how he understood it or whether it was his own his own variation to put in because he had a certain message cuz he wanted mm. to put it to song that may be impossible for us to determine.
1: And I, I, as I envision Luke, you know, having studied Luke's gospel and the way Luke handles uh, the Jesus traditions um, that you see in comparison with the other Synoptic Gospels, I would say it strikes me that Luke would probably have tried to be as faithful as possible to maybe the gist of Mary's original song, but he also gave it his own particular interpretation because he's working it into his narrative, which he wants he has certain things he's accomplishing in mm-hmm. his narrative. And one of them is to is to show that God's redemption is going to bring about this reversal of fortunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: so yeah, kind of a. An interesting maybe hybrid you know, I, I look at this and who actually heard Mary's song when we really look at this? And Mary maybe, did Yeah, Mary heard it. so uh, yeah, well and there's
1: an interesting there, there there's an interesting place in 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 the infancy narratives where Mary treasured all these things up in her heart. her heart. I think I don't I mean, I can't say for sure, but I think he's giving us a clue that this is where he got some of the information for his infancy narratives for composing his infancy narratives. Now we I mean how was Mary still alive did Luke ever meet her? It's hard to say but you know it's it seems that it's uh, it's likely that a gospel writer like Luke would have would have been in Jerusalem at some time because I think not only are we dealing with um Gospel writers copying and, and editing written texts. I think we're dealing with collaboration. And so I think, I, I think maybe that Luke and Matthew might have met.
0: They may have. And, and an might have compared concept. notes.
1: I don't think it's unlikely, given the, 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 the relative ease of travel in that day by ship, that Luke made it to Jerusalem as preparation for composing his narrative. This is totally hypothetical. Yeah, right. There's it's, it's no hypothetical. way to demonstrate It's hypothetical,
0: it. but I do think it's worth thinking about. I mean, when I think of the sacred text, and I think of what was really, frankly, a small community. When you're thinking about the Christian community, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. wow, and, and why would at the he, same why time. why else would
1: he say Mary treasured all these things up in her heart except to give us a clue that she was, she was the source for some of the information mm-hmm. he got from the infancy narratives? Yeah,
0: yeah, very very compelling um, thoughts. Anyways, I said, we can't prove it, so we can't stick it down into right. uh, any kind of book, but we can ponder that and mm-hmm. even pondering that, to me, just adds to the awe of the whole whole thing that we're looking at. Sure. And, um, yeah, just to say, we will never know if Mary was singing Hannah's song from day to day um, because we we don't have proof of that and yet at the same time we can say, oh, But I can absolutely see that as part of who she was.
1: Well, and the point is we sort of used informed imagination to try to understand the setting and Mm -hmm. the context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Mm We're back, and um, since we've since we've got a lot of ground to cover this week, we're just going to do two segments this time. So uh, we're going to start with Christie's turn, and and I'm just going to ask Christy, um, help us put this in the context of the reformers. How did they how did they approach this text?
0: Sure, and I think when we look at this text with the reformers, we have to really look at the broader uh, pattern of Renaissance humanism and kind of the rediscovery of 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 the significance of the of the human being. Um, and while a, a good, true scholar of humanism would talk about that in terms of a course of study, um, I think we have to go further and talk about those elements that are in that humanist course of study are the things that celebrate huma- our humanity. Things like history and things like poetry and things like rhetoric. Those are so central to who we are as human beings. And in the process of this this rediscovery of our humanity we also get the rediscover of the human body and how the human body works and so as the reformers are being steeped um starting luther and particularly calvin in these humanist studies they're also surrounded with a new celebration of humanity and mary fits into this, because all of a sudden you have a, celebra- a new celebration as of Mary as this human mother. Um, and one of the takeaways that, that Luther said, and I, I'll just say that right now, is he, he he says, look, no one can preach Christ without speaking of his mother.
1: That's fascinating to me. I wonder, what did he mean by that?
0: Well, we're talking about Christ humanity here uh. and we're talking about that he he was he was born of 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 human of of, of, of a woman and that's that's a whole new respect for the biological function for women. Um, before, in, in, in the medieval period, now Mary was absolutely venerated. In fact, there's a whole cult of Mary, and there's a whole whole series of liturgy based on Mary. But Mary was upheld for her virginity and her mm. chastity. And, and what Luther's saying, no, we need to hold up Mary for her motherhood mm. and for her function as a mother and that brings on a whole new v- value in the world instead of ooh if you want to aspire to be like mary you aspire to be a great mother mm. as opposed to somebody who is above motherhood somebody that is is separated from her biological function and of course there's all this question mark whether jesus really had brothers and sisters because she's supposed to be chaste and perfect mm-hmm. and and really not Tied to her biology, so it's really the first time we kind of start to celebrate biology. And I, um, I don't have images for you, obviously, on a podcast. But if if you want to go look at Google and Google medieval Madonna and child, you always get a, a, a very stiff-looking Mary and a little man-child, Jesus, usually blessing you. And <laughs> you, you know you just kind of have to giggle at it. And they usually look at you almost straight on. and um, Not very realistic. Not very realistic. Yeah. And then if you do the same thing and you would Google Renaissance uh, mother and child, then you have these beautiful, affectionate mothers looking at their beautiful children, fat babies. Um, (laughs) I put one up, Leonardo da Vinci with a suckling baby. Um, I mean, this is such a different imagery of of motherhood than what you had seen in your medieval period. So you have to place that into context. There's this new celebration of what it means to be a mother and also an elevation of the status of being a mother. Um, And so obviously you know that it's Initiated in the Reformation, that we're going to get rid of monastic houses, which are celebrating chastity and mm. this kind of Neoplatonic idea that um, denying the body gets you closer to God, and anything that's that's caused from the body is is really baser. Right. And it's, we're starting to get away from that, and we're starting to celebrate the way that God intended us to be. I think
1: and, I think it's hard. It may be hard for those of us in this culture that celebrates Mother's Day, for example, to really understand that it wasn't always that way.
0: Uh, well, no. I mean, and it's not that, you know, it's not that obviously there's a biological function. It had to happen, and right. having a, a, a baby was very important. But to important, be celebrated. But it wasn't yeah. celebrated. It yeah. was considered base. And, of course, Greco-Roman culture um, it particularly didn't celebrate motherhood. As we talked about, women are always second but our second-class citizens um and in fact in in gree in in ancient greece they really celebrated um um they really celebrated perhaps gay love more than they would Mm -hmm. celebrate uh, Mm a love between a man and a woman that just it was considered to be base um, in, in that world. So we're talking about a whole different context for understanding your world. Yeah. And that's where the reformers are are coming at this. So they're looking at this text and they're looking at t- this text in terms of this woman who has been empowered um, to give birth and that she is, she is we're celebrating.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and it's, as I said, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, uh, it's fascinating to me because You know, these days, I think there's so much of an emphasis on Jesus' humanity that uh, we just take it for granted. Now, of course, probably both when we were both growing up, uh, that wasn't even still the the way it was in church because in church, and I think even today, a lot of church people have this image of Jesus as sort of above humanity, you know. And um, I I would think Luther is is getting us to try to go back to that, that idea That we may have mentioned before that you know jesus was born in a stable where there were animals living it was a smelly Mm -hmm. place jesus uh had dirty diapers you know Mm -hmm. jesus Mm -hmm. jesus nursed at his mother's breast you know and and these are all very human images that we might take for granted but um but when we think about Jesus, we think he has to be above all of that because he's, you know, divine,
0: right? <laughs> and 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 this is, I, I mean, this is a huge, huge shift in mentality. And you know, Christ the King is 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 much underscored to mm-hmm. Christ, this baby, and and not only a baby, but born to a. The lowest of the low, this peasant woman, as we talked about, who suckled at his mother's breast. I mean, kings don't do that. They're they're shipped off to somebody else um, to grow up. And
1: they have wet nurses. It's significant. That do that job,
0: yeah. and, and we talked about this before, but it's significant that Luke tells us about this stuff. I mean, Luke tells us this infancy narrative, which, you know, Mark didn't even think was important to put in in here. So Nor John. Or, or John, right? Yeah. So you have this um uh, so you have this kind of reclamation of what it means to be human. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big part. And it's really important for our reformers who are seeing the the Roman Catholic church as having swayed so far from what the church was as Christ intended, you know, one where there is a new elevation where priests are elevated about above others, um, because they're denying the, the realities of their, mm-hmm. of their human flesh. And, um,
1: and that is praiseworthy. Yeah, and where Jesus is
0: so far above that right. people can't even appeal to Jesus. Um and now all of a sudden Jesus has become real. Um and and become approachable and and Mary is 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 celebrated as this as mother.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know I get the I get the benefit of looking at the images and and the image of Da Vinci's picture uh, portrait is is beautiful and and very touching you know and and it's a very intimate kind of thing and uh it's wonderful that they I mean it's like we we take it for granted today but uh what a what I wonder you know what a what a breakthrough it must have been, even for Luther to say no one can preach Christ without speaking of his mother.
0: Right, <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, and if you know, and and and.
1: Where, where did Calvin go with this? I mean, we're in the we're in the Reformed tradition, so naturally, I wonder about Calvin. How did he? So do with this? you
0: know, Cal, the, the Calvin, of course, the the Reformed tradition is going to move away from uh, some of the um, sensuality of your uh, of your. Italian Renaissance painters, and then into even your Northern Renaissance painters. But I think w- what happens is um, this emphasis on um, again the family, which is going to be the core. The family becomes the center of of a good Christian household, and mm-hmm. so you start to get really at the end of Luther, and then into and and then during Calvin's life, these house postilla, which are which are published, which is you know, head of the household, how the household's going to pray and live together, um, and so these house pastillas come out, and they're filled with, you know, Christian education for your family. Um, it elevates the status of children because they're part mm. of the family, and that the the God is best served um, by families that are that are sharing together. It, the household is 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 the the miniature church. Mm. Um, and the mother has an important role. So we get this elevation of her as someone that needs to be educated. So there's a call for uni- universal education um, that wasn't there before. Um, so all women need to be educated so they could teach the Bible. And so it's a really big shift, if you will, in the whole mentality of, of how the family works. Um, and so we start to see image-wise these these households and um usually pretty Puritan-esque, if you will, if you're familiar with the pilgrims, of course, in our country, that, that style of dress, these very pure, ideal families um, that come about, um, and this encouragement of lots of children and, and that, that children make the household happy. And it's, it's, very, it's, a, it's a very new space. And, and Luther even will encourage the children to learn songs, take them home and teach their parents so that they can be a better family unit.
1: Mm. So uh, again, I think from our perspective where, you know, um, my grandmother had a master's degree. She was an English teacher. My grandmother's sister was the first woman to become an orthopedic surgeon. You know, this was in the 1920s. She was a pioneer. But nevertheless, the education of women, uh, even in college, was something that that we just take for granted in in this day and time, and and you know we're talking about a, a time when this was a huge breakthrough and a and a, and a big shift from the way it was. It's a
0: big shift, and women aren't going to um, they're not going to move up the scale really really fast. And as someone who's done quite a bit of women's history women are still going to be really tied to their biological function. This is the first time we really celebrate biological function as being Mm -hmm. important, Um, and and so then are upheld. But it's that same biological function and the inability to control it. I mean, the only way to control it then was simply not to be involved Mm -hmm. in sexual activity, and therefore nuns had this kind of... Only were the only women that really got to a chance to do to be educated because they had removed themselves from that reality. Right, right. So these women are now there's an elevation of that motherhood role, but this is going to stick with us all through the Victorian era, you know, mm. and these images of the ideal queen and celebrating her success in as a woman through her motherhood. So we're still not to a modern era until we start to hit where we can control. Um, we can control how many children we have Mm -hmm. and where we can, um, women have the ability to pursue, um, things outside of motherhood. So it's an interesting, um, (laughs) the, the big debate is, so is this a, an elevation for women or not? And (laughs) I don't think it's a fair question, but I do think it's the first time we see a celebration of motherhood and, um, uh, and, and kind of a new respect for that, particular role
1: well again in a, in a world where that seem where we, we just sort of take that for granted that's just the way it is you know women women have an important role to play at least in some facets of our culture and some other facets suppress that still but you know from my perspective I think how much poorer we would be as as a people as a society if it were not for the women who have made significant contributions to science mm-hmm. to culture to religion to theology to to uh, humanities to all kinds of areas, economics, you know, um, technology, uh, I mean, uh, women in every field, mm-hmm. science, you know, and and and. Um, um, I just, uh, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm bringing us back to the Magnificat a little bit here. Do we have Mary to thank for all of this?
0: Well, <laughs> um, yes, and of course, what's interesting with this then is the celebration of Mary, and then we start moving along in history, and we get these really powerful queens, and so Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to think about the Virgin Queen. Right. Because here is this queen who is trying to figure out how she navigates her world in one where, And, and you actually kind of get a division between the Roman Catholic world and the um, Protestant world. And so she's dealing with um, a kingdom that is divided between the Roman Catholics right. and the Protestants. And so she's going um, to have this uh, um, kind of, Joint. She's going to have this great. We're going to allow the Roman Catholics to worship, but we're also going to allow the Protestants to worship. But I'm going to remain a virgin queen, so that she she kind of walks the line between both. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think you know she's kind of an interesting, um, kind of an interesting character in the middle of all all of this because she is so super powerful, Um, and yet she sees herself as kind of this image of mary but yet she doesn't take on the motherhood role because Mm -hmm. there's still the sense of but if motherhood is your role you can't be a queen right you know and so right it's either or it's an either or situation Mm -hmm. at that point Mm -hmm. right right so what an interesting character there but um so i guess yes we do have mary to thank for all of for all of this shift for this new um Kind of this new celebration of womanhood that happens at this time, yeah.
1: And yet, at the same time, I guess to bring it back to the theme of of the great reversal and God's redemptive work, I mean, I, I would, I hope that we would see that as a part of God's uh, God's redemptive work in the world to bring freedom in a way that 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 women particularly had not experienced before.
0: Right. I mean, and 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 that's the whole piece. We're talking about the bottom of the bottom. We're talking about women who are, you know. Uh, their only function is to reproduce, and of course, I think something I haven't talked about is, is just the reality of childbirth and and women being tied to biological function, is that childbirth is dangerous, and mm-hmm. and when you get pregnant, you honestly don't know whether you're going to live or die, especially if you've never been pregnant before. Um, in, in
1: in uh, up until recent times, I mean, very recent times, right? right? That was right, the, that was the truth, right? That was the case for women.
0: So you know, Mary singing this Magnificat, thinking I'm pregnant. This is a scary time. This is a scary experience. Um,
1: she doesn't know if, if she's going to survive childbirth.
0: She doesn't know, and yeah. she's been entrusted here with the Lord. And so, yes, there's I, I suppose there's a sense that God will carry her through it, but there's probably also a fear of, what if I fail my task? Well, you know, I think those both are fair to give to and, and
1: perhaps when she says, you know, let it be to me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant— you know, maybe she's saying, live or die, I will do what what, mm-hmm. what you what you would, would have me to do, Lord.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely. So yeah. there's a whole weight with that that modern folks that aren't probably gonna jump into. And and so with you know, with with women there's still because we're still tied in this age to biological function, there's still really a great risk of dying in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And so that really that impacts uh, women's position um i suppose there's a sense of early on um a sense of unimportantness right you you don't live that long or or later on you know and and of course we go way back into the ancient codes you know the only women that had a lot of worth were women that were having babies you know yeah so here's luke and we're pulling out this lowly lowly Woman, peasant, peasant girl. We're putting her in a situation that makes people wonder wow, she's not even maybe a nice girl. And, <laughs> and, 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 and really, the shame that would have come yeah. with her being pregnant uh, before she's married. And I, I think that's really, really fascinating when you think about the low of the low. Um, and uh, then when we tie this into and look. Oh God has worked with these people before, and 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 mm-hmm. look, these are my yeah. children. This is these are people that I brought to this world, sure. um, and I think there's a real uh, amazing beauty behind it. And as I came to this passage, I, I, I thought, I, I I guess in my world, the messenger is probably as important as the message. Oh um, yeah, I mean that there's definitely that. The choice of the person to deliver this, and that Luke felt this important enough to bring to us. Surely,
1: yeah. I would. I would say. I would agree with that. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, with the with the reformers, then in this in this um, in this emphasis on renewed a renewed uh, uh, celebration of humanity, a renewed celebration of. Of womanhood a renewed celebration of motherhood um i guess i wonder you know as we as we talk about the messenger is important uh how how did the reformers um you know um, i mean yeah luther said you can't preach christ without speaking of his mother but he's really focusing on preaching christ there right how did they focus on mary did they did what 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 did they have to say about mary in in particular
0: well I think um um overall I got a sense that just that how she was she was the ch- one chosen uh-huh. um chosen to to bring christ that she was um she was the model of again she's the model of motherhood mm-hmm. and I think we said that before mm-hmm. but but that they viewed her. That way, there was a great respect for her mm-hmm. um, uh, as as a as a biblical character, you know, as as someone that we hold up. Now, I think it's important to note they didn't they didn't want to worship Mary. Right. They didn't they didn't see her as as a god, which is really what you see. Or I think a, saint, a little bit, perhaps a even saint, as as we see in the Roman Catholic um, you know cult of saints, if you will, mm. uh, because we're we want to celebrate her for being human, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's that's a shift. There is a lot of question mark there, but definitely that she is the model of humi- of of humility, right? Mm. That she is, and that the humility is not based on her chastity, but based on her poverty.
1: Does mm. that make sense? Yes, um, yes, certainly.
0: So, kind of a shift.
1: Well, and that makes yeah. sense with the mag- Magnificat because that's what she's celebrating here. I I'm, I'm one of these lowly people who've been lifted up.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what exactly what she's doing. So, um a shift from how the Roman Catholic would have seen it as the modesty mm-hmm. piece and the back chastity to thing, yeah, yeah, back to the poverty piece.
1: The perpetual virginity of Mary. Yeah. Right, right,
0: yeah. right, right. Um and uh um Th- that it means um um if you will that it, i was ex- insignificant and despised but that did not prevent god from turning his eyes toward me mm-hmm. that's the kind of what he put into mary's mary's mouth if you will
1: yeah well and i think that's i mean <sighs> i that's something maybe we can all we can all resonate with you know mm-hmm. um um we may be we may be relatively wealthy we may be re- relatively full in comparison with the world's population but i think all of us have our wounds that that um have um weakened our sense of self-confidence and so we all can resonate, I think, with that statement. I was insignificant and despised, but that did not prevent God from turning His eyes toward me. We can rejoice with Mary in in her Magnificat.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: So as we as we as we sort of uh, wrap it up for today, uh, what are the takeaways for you from from our discussion today for folks out there in the in the pulpits?
0: I think a takeaways is that, um, for me, at least one of them is, is, is how, how God comes to us through unexpected characters sometimes. And that we, in our, in our world today, we still tend to look for the rich and the powerful as the people that have the message and the way, obviously we measure success by wealth. And I think God's telling us, um, look again,
1: (laughs) you know, yeah. Um, well, as I, as I said before, you know, it, it seems like a recurring theme in the Bible that God delights in using the least likely person to accomplish his redemptive work.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think it encourages us to to open our eyes where 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 God is, mm-hmm. you know. And if God is in, in love and in hope and in joy, I don't think we necessarily find that. Uh, I keep thinking of the... Um, charlie brown christmas story and a little the little pathetic tree that he picked yeah, we've all right? seen that you know that so much love that came into that tree that they all saw it as beautiful as yes. opposed to the the glittery ones of right. the steel right. and i think that's a really good image for us sure
1: sure you know as i think about it i think you know uh, we've talked before about how, how the scriptures raise attention for us that we need to, we need to keep that tension. And I think Luke especially does that. And this, so this is one of the takeaways for me is that Luke Luke's gospel puts it before us. He, he, uh, he has Jesus say, and this is the only place in the gospel tradition where Jesus says it quite this way: "Unless you give up all that you have, you cannot be my disciple." That's in Luke fourteen. That's only in Luke fourteen, and that is a that's an incredible tension for us. And I think, you know, this whole image of the great reversal, where the rich and the full, and those who are laughing now, those who are happy now, will be uh, will have their fortunes reversed. That really should come as a as a sharp kind of a that that the good news has a barb as i've said it before right. the good news has a barb in it for us because we are in that category i don't think that means i don't i don't know what that means i don't presume to be able to say what that means for us in terms of what we're supposed to do with it but i think it means that we we hold the tension and we recognize that this is the essence of the good news is you know this reversal where the powerful will be brought down and the lowly will be lifted up
0: mm-hmm. i agree I agree. And what a beautiful way to send you off to your last Sunday of Advent.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week, and in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word.
0: Word.